All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 John, and we will be in chapter number 5 today. And before we get started, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so blessed to be able to come as your children to your throne room and to lift up our request and to, to ask you to, to do the things that uh, we need done in our lives, not only for ourselves, but for others, Lord. And so we want to be those kind of people that have our prayers answered. And, and Lord, your word makes it very clear, as we're going to see today and elsewhere in Scripture, that that you intend to answer all of our prayers that are given according to your will. So, Lord, there is a great lesson to learn here today uh, for those of us who don't get our prayers answered as, as often as we like on, on how we can get those answers, Lord. And so I just ask today that, that you teach us about prayer, the, the power of prayer, and, and your willingness to, to do things in our life is as we serve you in your kingdom. So, Lord, I just ask for a special blessing because this is a special subject, and I ask that you bless this by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So far, the Apostle John has given us three tests so we can figure out whether or not we're truly born again. One test is that we love God. Now, that's the obvious test. We love God. The other test, another test is, or it's really that same test, involved in that same test, test is that we love our neighbors as ourselves. So if you don't love God and you don't love your neighbor as yourself, then you're probably not born again. The second test that he gives is this, that we have an anointing. That, as, as he says in, in chapter 2, that we have an anointing and so we know all things. That means that we recognize truth, biblical truth, we recognize God's truth, and we recognize error. We recognize lies. And so if you're living a lie, or if you're, you can't understand the word of God and you don't see this as the truth of God, I'm not putting you down, but you're probably not born again. And then the third test that uh, he gave us is, that we keep his commandments. Now that sounds, almost sounds like we're under law, but we're not under law. Because he tells us in, in chapter 5 that his commandments, in verse number 3, that his commandments are not burdensome. If you're a born-again believer, it's not a burden to keep the commandments of God because the commandments of God are part of who you are. You've been given the very nature of God. The law has been written on your mind and on your heart. And so keeping the law comes naturally to you. But if you're not keeping the law and you don't enjoy keeping the law and it's not part of who you are, then you're probably not born again. Well, in today's lesson, he's going to give us a fourth test. And this is a really good test. The fourth test is this. Do we get our prayers answered. I mean, when you go to the Lord and you pray to the Lord, does he answer your prayers? And really, you know, we like to use the excuse that, well, the answer is no. You know what? If we are praying the way God wants us to pray, you know what the answer is always? The answer is yes. God in his time will do what we're asking him to do. Now, 
you know, I don't know about you, but I don't always get my prayers answered. But the Bible says we should be able to get our prayers answered. And if we're not getting our prayers answered at all, I can tell you right now, then we're probably not born again. Uh, most of us don't get them answered all the time, but we get them some of the time, or a lot of the time, we get those answers. So uh, we want to learn about this issue of getting our prayers answered. So we're going to get there in a few minutes, but let's, let's pick back up in uh, verse number 8 of chapter number 5. He says there, There are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Now, what do they bear witness to? We saw that last week. They bear witness to the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth in the womb of Mary uh, as Emmanuel, God with us. In other words, it was God who was born in Bethlehem. He wasn't created in Bethlehem. He came to Bethlehem. There's a big, big difference, and we've studied that enough. I won't dwell on it long. But when he says there's three that bear witness to this fact, what does he mean? He, well, there's three that bear witness. The Spirit, which is the Spirit of God that was in Jesus Christ when he came to this earth. So he bears witness. The water, which I believe is the water of the womb of Mary that he's speaking of right here. And his blood, which is, means that his blood is the blood and the bloodline of David. And it's also, it's the blood of God. So Jesus Christ came to Bethlehem in the womb of Mary as, as the Spirit of God, as a Spirit, as the Spirit of God, and as God Man in the line of David, with the blood, the very blood of God, flowing through his veins. Now I know there's a lot of issues, and we dwelled on it a little bit last week, and I'm not going to do it this week about what the water means, and there are there are all sorts of different interpretations about that. And if you want to interpret the water as the water of the baptism of Jesus Christ when he was baptized, that's okay because at the baptism of Jesus Christ, it, the baptism did bear witness to who he was. And some people say it's the water of the word. Well, the, the word bears witness to who Jesus is and was. And so, so the, that's, that interpretation is okay. But in the context, I think he's talking about he came, and so he came in the water of the womb. He came with the blood in the blood in the bloodline of David, and he came uh, with the Spirit of God. So now we go to verse number nine. He says, "If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He has testified of His Son." Now, the greatest witness of all as to who Jesus Christ is is God himself. Look, we, we love to trust in human testimony, don't we? I mean, we read history books and we look at the history book and we say, well, wow, all of that's true. And we read science books and we say, all of that's true. We go to Wikipedia and we take it as, as, as all truth. We get an article, out, a historical article out of Wikipedia and we say that is absolute truth. So we, if we can trust in the witness of men who lie, then we can certainly trust in the witness of God who cannot lie. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to know about Jesus Christ, the truth about Jesus Christ, I wouldn't go to Wikipedia to find out that truth. I wouldn't go to a historical book to find out that truth. 
I want the witness of God. That's where I want to know about Jesus Christ. What does God have to say about Jesus Christ? And what does God have to say about Jesus Christ? That he came to this world, that God came, Emmanuel. He came here to die for our sins so that we can have eternal life. That's the witness. And God is the witness. And verse number 10, right along those lines. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. In other words, you don't have to go to Wikipedia or to the history books to find out about Jesus Christ, and you couldn't find out about him anyway there. But that's not where you go. You, if you're a born-again believer, you have that witness within yourself. Who's that witness? God himself. He who does not believe in God has made, him, made God a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son in his word. Now, you don't, if you're not born again, you don't have that witness within you. You don't have God within you. But having believed, once you believe the witness that God gives in his word, you are given his spirit. And so you know all about Jesus Christ. You know who Jesus Christ is. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and let me paraphrase here, that no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit of God. Now, you can read about it. If, if you're here today and you don't know that Jesus is God, you can read about that in the Word of God. But, but you're going to have to put your faith in that, and once you believe, having believed, you're sealed with the Spirit, and then the witness of God is there in you, and you know that Jesus is Lord. No one can call Jesus the Lord except by the Holy Spirit, and no one can deny that Jesus is Lord if they have the Holy Spirit. If... if you know, if you're a born-again believer, they could take you and they could put you on a torture rack. And they could torture you for hours and try to get you to say that Jesus is not God. And you probably would say, no, he's not God, so you could get off the torture rack. But deep down inside, you ne you're never not going to know that Jesus is not God. You're never not going to know that it was God who came to Bethlehem to die for your sins. And then he goes on and he says... In verse number 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. In other words, the testimony is that Jesus came. He came to Bethlehem, Emmanuel, God with us. Why did he come? To give us eternal life. This is the testimony that God has given us. Now, I want you to catch this. He's not going to give us if. Is that what he says? He has given us. Who's the us? Those of us who are born again, he has given us what kind of life? A life that's eternal if we do this and we do that? No, he has given us eternal life, and that life is in his son. And if you read this word, you're going to know that Jesus Christ has given us eternal life. If you've been born again, you're going to truly know that you've been giving eternal life. Why do you know that? Because you've been saved. You've been sealed with the Spirit, and you have an anointing, and you know all things. Now, we don't believe that, that we get salvation through our birthright. We don't believe that it comes through religion. We don't believe that we earn it by our works. We don't believe that we keep it by our works. We know that it's a gift, an eternal gift, 
that has been given to us by what? Through our faith. That's how we get this eternal gift. We don't keep it. We don't earn it. We don't go to church to get it. We don't pray. Well, you got to pray to get it because you, prayer is an expression of your faith. But once you pray, you have eternal life. Now, that, that begs the question, can I lose it? You know what? I believe this thoroughly. You can lose your salvation. But I also believe you can't lose your salvation. You can lose your salvation if it were up to you to keep it. You would lose it. Well, I wouldn't lose it. I know people who've lost it. But I don't, I, I, and I believe I can lose it, but I'm not going to lose it. Ask Adam and Eve how that worked out for them. I, I tell you what, Adam and Eve were created in a more perfect way than you and I. You know, the creation has fallen ever since then. And they were much more perfect than we are. And they were put in a perfect environment. And they were filled with the glory of God. Did they lose their salvation? I don't think they did. But they could have lost it if it were up to them. If God had said, hey, you've lost it. And, and he who sins will surely die. And they died because of their sin. But they got salvation. Why did they get salvation? Because it's a gift of God. The same gift that God gave Adam and Eve through the future Messiah, he gives us to the Messiah that we look back to. And it's a gift that's been given to us. We have eternal life. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world for salvation, for eternal life. God chose you. He chose me before the foundation of the world. Now, how did I get chosen? I chose him. How, how did he choose me before the foundation? Because he knew I would choose him. And if you're here today and you want to be chosen, all you got to do is be choose him. And when you choose him, you know what you're going to find out? You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And if I'm chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that that just screams out omniscience, that God knows who's going to choose him, that he knows the future. Is God going to give you his spirit if he thinks you're going to trample all over it? Is you're going to throw it away? No, he chose you before the foundation of the world because he knows that you have, you're going to receive that gift and you're going to keep that gift. Otherwise, he wouldn't choose you. I mean, would you go to the racetrack and bet on a bunch of, if you knew the future, would you bet on a bunch of losers and not bet on the winner? No, you're going to bet on the winner. And, and God knows the future, and so he bets on us. And he puts everything he has into us. And he went on a cross to die for us. And then in verse number 12, he says, he who has the Son, watch this, might have life one day, might get saved one day, might keep his salvation one day. What's it say right there? He has life. He has it. You know what Jesus said in John? He says, when, if you believe on me, when you, the moment you believe on me, you've passed from death unto life. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, at that moment, you've, you're, born, you're born again, but you're born into life that lasts forever. At that moment, you have eternal life. 
You cannot die. Who believe, Jesus says, whoever believes in me shall never die. You'll never die. Now, your body's going to die, but you're not going to die to be absent with the, from the bodies to be where? To be present with the Lord. You're not going to die. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. What kind of life do you have? You've got eternal life. If you've believed on the Son, if you put your faith in the Son, you have eternal life. It's yours. And if you haven't chosen the Son, if you don't have the Son, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, now this isn't just believing in facts about Jesus Christ. This is putting all my trust for my salvation in Jesus Christ. Why do I do that? I do that because I, I, I want to have a relationship with God. I want to live forever with God. If, if you don't like God's word, if you don't like God, you're never going to put your faith in God because you don't want to live forever with God. And so you live forever, but you live forever in another place, a bad place, with your friends who don't want to live for God and live with God and serve God and be God's child. But he who has the Son has life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Except by me. There is no eternal life except through Jesus Christ. And it's as simple as that. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. There's no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe that and you think, well, you know, you're buying into what they're preaching in a lot of evangelical circles today that, hey, yeah, everybody's going to make it. The Muslim's going to make it. The Hindu's going to make it. I can believe what I want to believe about the Lord and I'm going to make it. That's not true. He who has the Son has life. I'm not, this isn't something I made up here. He who has the Son has life. Who has, he who does not have the Son does not know God and does not have life. You don't have it. And until you give your life and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you will, you will not have life. You will not have eternal life with God in heaven. You won't have it. But once you do that, once you take that step, you got it. It's yours. It's yours forever. And that's why John wrote this book. That's why he wrote it to us. And that's why he wants us to take these tests so we can be sure. Look at verse number 13. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you will know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you have eternal life. What kind of life? Eternal life. Not conditional eternal life, eternal life. You pass the three tests, you're going to know that you have eternal life. You're going to know it. And so, and so he says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe that you have eternal life. That you may continue to believe that you know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. Because he's not saying you're going to lose your salvation here. What he's saying right here is that you're not going to, you're, you're not going to be able to live and function in, the, in a Christian life the way God wants you to function if you're not sure of yourself. He wants you to always be sure of yourself. So if you're born again, man, you know that you have eternal life. I know I have eternal life. When I'm at the very pit of despair and what seems like 
hopelessness and darkness in my life, kind of like this morning when I got up. I told the worship team, they were talking about we're having a rough day today, and I was thinking, man, I got if you if you heard the dreams, I, I, I or saw the dreams that I had right before I woke up, you wouldn't even want to listen to me preach. It was terrible. It was demonic. It was terrible, evil. And I was a participant in it. And, and, but you know what? You know what I said? Hey, blood of Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness. I know that I know that I know I have eternal life. And devil, you can't steal that from me. If I don't have eternal life, if I go to heaven and I don't have eternal life, God is a liar. And God is not a liar. I can trust the Lord. I know that I have eternal life, and I don't care what the devil throws at you demonically. You have eternal life if you believe in Jesus Christ and you've been born again. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been born again. Don't let anybody steal that from you. Well, wait a minute, Pastor, man, I know people who told me they were saved and they, they came to church every Sunday and they read their Bible and they prayed more than I read. They preached in the pulpit, and one day they walked away from the faith. Well, let me tell you what. Let me tell you why they walked away. They walked away because they never were born again. They never had eternal life. It's not eternal if you can lose it. And if you can keep it, you're keeping it by you got it by your works. And that's why you're never going to have it. If you think you're going to keep it by your good works, then you're, at some point the devil's going to throw things at you. You're going to walk away. God's going to let him do that, and the reason he's going to let him do that is to get you to grace, to get you to the cross to where you understand that the only way you can be saved is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you pass, when you believe in that cross and you trust in that cross to pay for all of your sin and you, and you put your faith in God, he gives you his spirit and you have passed from death to life. So, man... John gave us these tests so that we know. Now, if you've been born again, you know. You know because you love God. You love God. You know, I hear people all the time in all sorts of circles talk about how they love God. You don't love Jehovah God unless you've come through his son. In fact, you're at enmity with God unless you've come through his son. You're at enmity with God unless you've been born again. Before I was saved, I was at enmity with God. But I know now that I love God. I love God. You know, I, I'm not going to stand up here and say I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, because I don't. But I love the Lord more than anything else in this world. I am so grateful for, to the Lord for what he's done in my life. You know, I love my wife more now than I've ever loved my wife because I love God more than I've ever loved God. I love my children more than I've, I could have ever loved my children because I, I, I love God. And I love you. Oh, as bad as y'all are, I love you. And as bad as I am, you love me. I mean, if you can love me, you got to say, man, I'm born again. <laughs> and if I can love you, i got to say, wow, I'm really born again. <laughs> See, we know that, and we know truth. Look, if you're, com if, you're coming to if you're here today and you're in this world and you're saying, what is all this junk I'm listening to? The reason it's like that to you is because you don't know the Lord yet. And I'm not put putting you down because... Man, I, I was spoon-fed this stuff from the time I was a baby, and I hated it until I was born again. It was burdensome. Let me say, I won't say I hated it, but it was very burdensome to me. I mean, I remember the King James Version. I was like, give me another version. That'll make it. And I hear people say, oh, you give me another version, it'll be better. When you get saved, you don't care what the version is, unless it's NIV. You don't care what version it is. 
the nearly inspired version. <laughs> Seriously, you, you, you just love the word and you know it's truth and you know it's God's truth and you want to be in the word. Friends, if you don't want to be in the word, let me tell you what, you want to measure your salvation? If you don't care about being in this word, I, I, I don't think you're saved because you, you don't, I, I mean, maybe, you, maybe you're an exception. But you want to feed on God's word when you're born again. You love God's word when you're born again. So you know truth. You know truth. And, and you know what? You begin to keep the commandments because the commandments are who you are. And because you're, keeping, you're, you're living righteously all of a sudden and you've lived so radically wrong most of your life, all of a sudden you say, wow. Wow, you don't, get, you don't get puffed up or God will bring that down real quick. But wow, I'm really born again. Man, I wouldn't have, I would have watched that movie and not thought anything bad about it before. You know, now you watch a movie, and I still go to movies and watch movies I probably shouldn't watch. But, but, but there's things in the movies that I say, wow, I hate that. And before, I loved that. I remember... I remember moving to Las Vegas to be, become a professional gambler, and that lasted about two weeks before I lost everything. But I, Brenda can remember this well. But I can, I can remember living there for a while and, I, and thinking this is heaven. Man, all of, this, all of the great evil things you can do, this is like heaven. This is, this is where it's at, man. And on the road down where I got saved, I remember coming back into that city, and as you come up over the Boulder Dam, you can kind of see the city and the valley, and I said, man, that looks like hell. It just totally, and there's some fine people in Las Vegas, so don't, don't take that wrong, but it's it just like all the things that I thought were wonderful, I, I, I knew they weren't wonderful. I knew they were destructive. I knew they weren't good for me, and, and, and I knew... You know, I knew that I was saved. I knew, man, just in a matter of 24 hours, I'd gone from this being heaven to this being hell, from this being right to this being wrong. No longer did I see the things that God sees wrong as right. I saw the things that God sees right as right. And I've been changed. And if you've been changed like that, you know it. You know, I think some of the most dangerous people are, are, are the people that are maybe the most dangerous situation are those who think they're morally sound. Sometimes it's good to fall off into sin so you can, you can get to a point where you see the destruction of sin. But there's got to come a point in your life where you realize that you've been changed, and if you've been changed, hey, you know that you have eternal life. And that's why John can write these things, and we aren't scared to read these things because, hey, we don't always love God as we should. We don't always love our neighbors as we should. We don't always uh, uh, understand everything in the Word. Uh, we don't always keep the commandments, but we know we're working that way. It's a process. It's an ever-growing process that's going to keep going until we end up in glory. We're going to be growing until then. And then you're going to be glorified, and all these things are going to be perfect. They're not perfect now, but you know you've been changed. Now, to pass those three tests, you've got to have a lot of help you got to have a lot of tell. So that's why John gives us the fourth test in verses 14 and 15. If we're truly born again, 
we get our prayers answered. But we ask the question today, does God answer your prayers? Does God answer your prayers? If you see God answering your prayers on a consistent basis, you're born again. And you know what? Here's, it's an excuse we make. Well, God's just saying no. No, if you're praying the way God wants you to pray, you know what the answer is going to always be? It's going to always be yes. He's going to answer it in his time. The answer is going to always be yes. You don't think so? I didn't make that up. Let's read verses 14 and 15. He says, now this is the confidence that we, those of us who are born again, have in him, that if we ask anything, what's anything mean in the Greek? Anything. Now, there's a big condition to this anything. According to his will, he hears us. You know what? When you go in your closet to pray, I can tell you one thing you'd be 100% sure of if you're a born-again believer. God hears you. Be careful what you say. Let your words be few. But when you go into your prayer closet, God hears you. And look at verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we already have it. We already have the petitions that we've asked of him. We might not have received those uh, benefits yet, but we have them. They're ours. If we go to the Lord and we pray according to his will, we got it. It's ours. That is an absolutely amazing promise. Absolutely amazing. Go to the Lord, pray according to his will, and you got it. It's yours. That's not the only place that appears in Scripture. Might want to write some of these references down. We're not going to chase them all down because you're not fast enough to stay with me, but I'm teasing. I've got them written down. Let me just give you some examples. You can write the reference down and look at them later. Psalms 37. Some of you know this right away. We preached on this New Year's night. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I see a lot of frowns, a lot of looking down like, Man, he ain't been doing that for me. He will. If you delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 145, 19. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. That promise is every bit as much true as John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That promise is just as real as that. Proverbs 10, 24. The desire of the righteous. Who are the righteous? Those who are born again. Saints of God. Made perfect by God. The desires of the righteous will be granted. Will be granted. 
Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who's born again. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. John 14, 13, Jesus was talking to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. He wanted to leave them these words, and listen, listen to what he said. He said, whatever, what's whatever mean in the Greek? Whatever. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I'm going to do it. Whatever you ask, I'm going to do it. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be, I'll tell you no or yes, no. It will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. John 16, 23, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now, I, you would read some commentaries and people are going to do all sorts of dancing around these verses, but they are meant to be read exactly as they were given. Exactly as I read those verses to you right now. And you know what? The prayers that God wants to, answer, wants to answer the most are those prayers related to those three tests. Do we love the Lord and do we love others? You pray for others, God's going to answer your prayers. You pray for a closer relationship with the Lord, God's going to answer your prayers. You pray, uh, you want to know God's truth, God's going to open his truth to you. There has never been a passage in this word where I've needed an answer and I, it was something difficult, and it's not in any answers, not in any commentaries, not anywhere else. Where I've just sought the Lord, and He's given me what I needed. He's given me the answer to what I needed. Always He'll do that. And I want to keep God's commandments. And if I want to keep God's commandments, and I pray, Lord, help me keep Your commandments. He's gonna. You pray, change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. May I be holy and righteous. God's going to answer that prayer. But you know what? You can take this and to some degree, you can apply it to your material and physical, your material prosperity and your physical health. You know, as evangelicals sometimes, as evangelical conservative evangelicals, we've gone too far against this health wealth thing. We've gone so far as, hey, whoa, boy, don't ask God for prosperity. Don't pray for health. If God wills it and the doctors can do it, then we'll pray for it. But, but don't ask God just to heal me. Don't, don't, don't believe that. You, can, you don't have a right to ask that. You don't have a right to ask God for, for nice things. You don't have a right to do that. That's not true. That's not true. Take your Bibles and flip over, and we'll head here in a few weeks, but take your Bibles and flip over to 3 John. Seems strange saying that. Third John, not chapter three of John one, but third John. There's only one chapter there. 
We'll get to this and we'll look at it in more detail later. But look down at verse number two. Listen to what John prays. He says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. What's all things mean in the Greek? All things. And be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, if John didn't believe that that was a valid prayer, do you think he would pray that? Now, there's all sorts of prescription on how we're to pray, but there's nothing wrong with praying for prosperity. There's nothing wrong with praying for health. God wants to give you health. God wants to give you prosperity. Now, here's the catch. If God's... Well, let me put it this way. God is much more concerned about the health of your soul than he is about your material prosperity and physical health. And if somehow he can make you healthier in the soul by depriving you of material things and and taking away your health, he's going to do that. So, So number one is, you know, the spiritual thing. But he also does want to prosper us with our health. He wants to prosper us materially. We can ask for those things. It's not wrong to ask for those things. You don't name it and claim it. You don't name or claim anything. You ask God. Name it and claim it is the epitome of pride. God, you're my genie. You're going to do what I want you to do. No, you don't name it and claim it, but you can pray for prosperity. Prosperity is a good thing. I don't care what the case is, though. God wants to bless you. He really wants to bless you. Get this in your head. Don't listen to the devil. Don't listen to your friends. Don't listen to the naysayers. Your friends who are naysayers, let me put it that way. Don't listen to them. God wants to bless you, and he wants to answer your prayers. you got to believe that. He wants to bless you, and he wants to answer your prayers. But wait a minute, Pastor. You got, to have your prayers answered, you got to be a super saint. You got to be one of these super saints. I mean, like, like Moses. He had his prayers. Elijah. Don't you remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? And he called down fire and the fire came. You know, James says to pray like Elijah. I mean, God wants to answer your prayers. Everybody much wants to answer Elijah's prayer. Don't sit down any fire down here right now, but but we're all good people. We don't have any prophets of Baal in here. But, but uh, he wants to answer your prayers. He loves to answer your prayers. I mean, he answered the prayers of Jacob. Jacob, what a tyrant. David, remember, you know, one of the, one of the greatest prayers that David prays is after he killed Uriah and had this affair with Bathsheba. Did God say, man, you're a scumbag. I'm not going to answer your prayers. No, he answered his prayers. You know, to me, the seediest character in the Bible, other than Judas, was Manasseh. Do you remember King Manasseh? The son of Hezekiah, that great godly king? Manasseh was a guy who did everything wrong. I mean, he was blatantly evil. He, the Bible says he worshipped demons and set up idols to demons throughout Israel. And you know what he had the Israelites do? He had the Israelites, he had the Israelites uh, take their children through the fire and 
offer those children up to those demonic idols. And God judged him for that. He sent an army of Assyrians down and they defeated, they defeated his army and they took Manasseh off captivity to Babylon. And why was in Babylon? It was the Assyrians that took him to Babylon. And why was in Babylon? He prayed. Well, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't answer his prayer. But listen, let me read you this. In reading out of 2 Chronicles 33, verses 12 and 13. Now, when he was in his affliction, he implored the Lord God and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him. And the Lord received his entreaty, heard his supplication, brought him back to his throne in Jerusalem and into his kingdom. And Manasseh knew that the Lord Jehovah was God. Man, if he would answer the prayers of Manasseh, you don't think he's going to answer the prayers of his children? He's going to always answer the prayers of his children, and he wants to answer those prayers in the affirmative. Now, there are a few conditions. There are a few conditions, and really we've kind of gone over the conditions in the text that I read to you, but let me, let me rehearse these conditions for you. First of all, you've got to pray in Jesus' name. That's not, that's not some formula, some, some uh, say, uh, saying that you make and because you pray in his name. This is the way some people teach. You name the name of Jesus that, that, that just because you said those words, you're going to have power in your prayers. That's not what it's talking about. When you pray in Jesus' name, you're recognizing Jesus as God Almighty. You're recognizing him as your Savior. You're recognizing him as your Lord. And so if he's your Lord, what do you want? You want what he wants. So, you pray in Jesus' name, John 16, 23. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now, so you've got to ask in his name. You've got to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're not born again, you're not going to get into that relationship. And the only prayer that he's going to answer is the prayer like Manasseh prays, Lord, I'm in trouble, help me, save me. Same prayer he answered for me when I got saved. I'm in trouble, hey, you show me you exist. And, and I'll give you my life. He'll answer those kind of prayers. But the rest of the prayers, you're not saved, you're never going to get saved, forget it. You're not going to get answered. The second condition is you must pray according to his will. Look back at, look back at verse 14. Look at, again, John chapter 5, verse 14. He says, now this we have confidence that now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, we must pray according to his will. Now, you know what that tells me? There no no's when you pray according to his will. If you're praying for what God wants, then obviously God's going to give you what he wants. You're praying for what he wants in your life, what he wants in other people's life, then he's gonna give you, he's gonna give you what you want. Now, how do we know his will? Well, to know his will, we have to be in his word. And that's why he says in, in uh, uh, John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Because when you're abiding in the word of God, you know the will of God. Now, our problem is the reason we don't get our prayers answered, as James says, we ask amiss. 
In other words, we ask for our will be done, not the Lord's will be done. If we're asking for the Lord's will to be done, the answer is going to be yes. And in his time, he's going to answer that prayer request. Now, you've got to take everything that you know in the Bible as, as you abide in the word to kind, of, to kind of help you guide your prayers because there's certain things you've got to know. One of the things you know that everybody's not going to get saved. You know, I, I come to church sometimes and I have to cringe when I hear some people praying because they pray things like, oh, Lord, we want you to save all of America. Well, you're wasting your time. You're wasting my time. God's not going to save all of America. Because God, we know from the word, that's not God's will to save all of America. God wishes that none should perish. That's his wish. But his will is to save all of those who will come to Jesus Christ. And so if you're going to pray for America, Lord, please work on this country so people will come to Jesus Christ. And those who you've chosen before the foundation of the world, they will get saved. That's how you pray. You pray according to his will. You, in Psalm 37, 4, you have to delight yourself in the Lord. I mean, the Lord has, you know, we pretend to do that. We go to the Lord in prayer and we, we, we flatter him. We like to flatter him a lot so we can tell him what we want for ourselves. That's not what he's talking about right here. When you really delight in the Lord, if you delight in your spouse, if you delight in your wife, what do you want? What do you want? You want to bless your wife. If you delight in the Lord, you want what the Lord wants. You want to bless him. You want to do what pleases him. And so when you delight in the Lord, and the Lord is your delight, he gives you the desires of your heart, and your desire of your heart is to please him. Your desire of your heart is to be with him. Your desire of your heart is to live holy. And then... Here's the one that gets a lot of us. I think if you, if you came to our Wednesday night prayer meetings and you prayed with us, you'd see why we don't get a lot of our prayers answered. A lot of my prayers don't get answered on Wednesday night. You know why? Because I think deep down inside, and here's the fourth condition, we don't really believe that God is willing to give us the answer that we want. We don't really believe it. We don't really think he can do it. He can do a lot of things, but he can't do this. So instead of trusting the Lord, we'll trust in our government. We'll trust in our job. We'll trust in something. But we don't trust fully in the Lord. You've got to believe that the Lord can answer your prayers. And then he's going to answer your prayers. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed and you say to this mountain, be moved, you got it. The mountain will move. And I don't think he was talking about physical mountains here because I don't think that's according to the will of, we don't have any mountains in Louisiana, so we could pray that if we wanted to. But he's talking about the mountains in your life. Those mountains, those, those problems that seem insurmountable, those mountains, you pray for that mountain to be moved. God says, I'll move that mountain for you. 
I'll move that mountain for you. And then the other thing that has to happen, the other condition in order to have your prayers answered, you've got to be persistent. You've got to be persistent. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7, 7 and 8? He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And, and I'm not going to give you a Greek lesson right here, but those are participles. So it really is what he's saying is keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Keep, be persistent in your prayers. Don't, I mean, God heard you the first time, but you got to every day say, Lord, I'm going to bring this prayer. To, I'm going to bring this prayer to you today. I'm going to lift up this lost person again today. I'm going to, I'm going to lift up this problem again today. I'm going to keep on asking you. And what does that say to God? That says to God, first of all, you believe that he can do it, and you're not going to let go until he does do it. It, all, it, it tells God that you're sincere about that prayer, that that's something you're really concerned about. Again, you know, and go back to our Wednesday night prayers, I, I'd say for the most part we pray those prayers, we walk away, we never pray them again. A lot of the prayers that we pray. And, and so... We're not going to see answers to those prayers. God wants to know that we really are hurting for that person, that we really care enough about that person to pray more than one time on a Wednesday night, that we're lifting them up constantly, constantly, constantly. Lord, please save that person. Please uh, work in their life so at least they can come to a point where they can receive Jesus Christ. Lord, help me with this problem I'm having with drinking. Help me stop drinking. Help me stop uh, doing drugs, whatever addiction I might be have. You got you to be serious about that. You got to be persistent about that. And I promise you one day if you're persistent, that is his will and he's going he's to take that away. So, how do I get my prayers answered? I pray in Jesus' name. I pray according to his will. I delight myself in the Lord. I really believe and I'm persistent in my prayers. And I'll get my prayers answered. So, is this what I'm telling you? I'm going to tell you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to memorize these five things. And then I want you to go in your prayer closet and take this list. And, and No, I'm not trying to put you under law here. Let me simplify the whole thing for you. It's real simple. Real simple. You delight yourself in the Lord. If you really love the Lord... You're going to put away some of your idols, and you're going to want to spend time with the Lord. And if you delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to want to be in prayer. And if you love the Lord, you're going to want to be in his word. And if you're in his word, you're going to know his will. And so when you go to your prayer room and you're delighting yourself in the Lord, you're going to know his will. You're going to know what he wants for, for you, for, for himself, for others. You're going to know that. It's going to come automatically if you really care about the Lord. And you're going to pray according to his will because of that. You're going to know his will because you're in his word. And you know what happens when you pray like that? You begin to experience the power of God's presence. Let me tell you something. Two things will happen when you experience the power of God's presence. You won't have any trouble believing he can answer your prayer. Whenever I have that experience with God, man, I can go in my prayer closet and I don't, I'm not afraid to ask for anything. And I know I'm going to get it. Because I, I, I know he's there. And I know he has that power. And you know what else happens when my prayers get answered? The fourth test. I know that I'm saved. I have no doubts about my salvation. 
And the less doubts you have about your salvation, the more you're in the prayer room with the Lord. That's why John wrote this book. So that we would know, that we know, that we know, that we have eternal life. That was his purpose. Well, you know, it's strange. Over in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, he tells us a different purpose. He says, in these things I write to you that your joy may be full. I wrote this book, John says, so that your joy may be full. I wrote this book, John says, so you would know that you have eternal life. Which is it, John? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. When you begin to keep the commandments of God, when you begin to know the truth of God, when you, be, when you begin to, to love God and love others as you love yourself, when you begin to have your prayers answered, you're going to find that joy and peace you've been longing for. You got it. You're going to have it. You're going to have it. That's why John wrote this book. That's why I preached this sermon. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the great truth that, that we know that when we delight ourselves in you and we come to your throne room, and we ask things according to your will. And Lord, we're serious about those things and we're persistent in those prayers. Lord, that we can be sure that those prayers are answered when we pray them in Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray today if there's someone here who never gets their prayers answered because they don't really know you, that Lord, you would lead them into a true relationship with Jesus Christ so that Lord they can have the blessings that we have the blessings of knowing that we have eternal life the blessings of having our prayers answered Lord and the joy and peace that comes with that Father I just pray today that we all who are struggling with our prayers will become the kind of prayer warriors you want us to be you've shown us how today Lord help us to do that we ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.